You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Pleasant View Baptist Church in Carrollton, Georgia. While we're delighted you're listening, we'd much rather you worship Jesus with us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. You can find out more about our church and those services at mypvbc.org. As I've already said a few times, we're coming in today a little more out. Um, some of us are coming in on empty. I'll just be honest with you, I think Doug and I said this a weeks ago, but overall, since really COVID started, y'all been, or since we've been coming back, y'all been just coming in, just drained. And that's not a pleasant thing. Uh, my father-in-law was talking about that this week, just how people are just seeing gas when they come in. Um, and so with that in mind, it is such a joy this morning to preach about the Lord's Supper. I know we don't, maybe not always think of it that way. Um, because for many of us, the Lord's Supper is something that we've done over and over. But if we're being honest, I would imagine that most of us take it, we eat the bread, and we drink the cup, and we think to ourselves, like, isn't there supposed to be something else going on? Am I supposed to be feeling something else in this moment, or experiencing something else? Is there, what am I supposed to be doing? It just feels like there's something lacking when we partake of the Lord's Supper. I know it's been my experience. I know it's been a lot of people's experience that I've talked with. And I think this morning as we study the Passover, or the Lord's Supper, sorry, in uh, Mark 14, I think we may find that maybe there is more going on than we usually give it credit for. So Mark 14, we're going to start in verse 22. Um, so convicted this week that I've been trying to preach too long the passages, so we just got four verses this morning. Um, the sermon will be about the same length. So, verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for me. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's pray, Lord. God, we just pray that you use this word in your people's hearts to change us and to make us more like your son, to his glory and his honor. And in his name we pray. Amen. So first, Jesus takes the bread and he blesses it. This is basically the same thing uh, maybe in a few hours or an hour somebody's going to say, who wants to say the blessing? Right? This is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's saying the blessing. It's parallel to verse 23 where over there we read, and he took a cup and when he had given thanks when he had given thanks, other gospel writers don't even say that he blessed it, they just say that he gave thanks for it. Because what's going on here is, is that what Jesus is really doing is he's not asking for God to do something supernatural to the bread. He's actually just thanking God for the bread. And in doing so, he's blessing God for it. You know, some of us will say, uh, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. And I wonder sometimes if when we pray that, we're thinking that God is going to miraculously turn our Doritos, you know, into a salad. And I think we know that it's not really going to happen, right? And so it's kind of, well, what are we blessing here with this food? And the truth is that what God is showing us as an example is to say, God, you are worthy to be praised. You are a good God because you have given us what we need. 
James 1 tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And so Jesus begins, the whole Lord's Supper begins by being thankful for what God has given him, for the provision of bread. You know, Jesus talks often in uh, the Scripture, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's, it's found throughout the Gospel, where Jesus will often talk about how good his Father is. And what hit me this week is that Jesus also lives a life like he actually believes that his Father is a good Father to him. But it's not simply that Jesus provided the, the bread and the juice for them, that he somehow provided those things. It's rather, I think, getting a, a bigger picture, a bigger truth, that Jesus is actually saying that God has provided the whole supper to them. This ordinance has many names, right? We'll call it an ordinance. Other churches might call it a sacrament. Um, sometimes we'll call it communion. Uh, higher, you know, more formal churches might call it the Eucharist. You might have heard that word. Oftentimes we just call it the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. But I've been convicted that I don't think that we often think about why we call it the Lord's Supper. We call it the Lord's Supper because it actually is Jesus' Supper. It, it's His Supper. What I mean by that is that He has set the table. He has invited us to the table, and then he serves us at the table. Sometimes you'll hear people talk, I've never heard Dad say about this, I don't know, on toes. Um, sometimes people talk about worship, as if we're going to come together and then we'll invite Jesus to be with us. And the Lord Supper is the complete opposite of that. Where Jesus comes to the table and he invites us to it. He says, pull you up a chair, right? This table is for you. Uh, in this way, the Lord's Supper becomes a fulfillment of the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The truth is, is that the reality right now, in this moment, is that our enemy, Satan, is roaming around this earth, seeking whom he can devour. That his minions are all around us, all around this building, all around your homes, all around our community, trying to destroy all of those things. And in response to that, one of the main responses to that is that Jesus says, I'm going to set you a table. I'm going to pour you some juice. I'm going to break, bake some bread. And I'm going to pull you up a chair to the gospel banquet. It is boldness. It is calmness. It is, in fact, an act of defiance and rebellion against the rulers of this world. An act of service to the rightful sovereign king. What, like, I've been gripped by this this week. What a statement it is that with everything else is going on, no, but everything else is working outside of these walls. That Jesus is not in here. He doesn't set up a, an ordinance of let's build some swords or let's bless some guns. He says, no, let's just sit down and eat. Let's just have a meal together. And so the table provides us with an opportunity for us to practice, to put into motion something. That we don't have to come together and devise all these strategies and plans. We just have to come and eat. 
an act of boldness if we're willing to have the faith to do it. But there's more, right? Jesus doesn't just bless the bread, he breaks it. Meaning that Jesus took one loaf of bread and broke it into 12 pieces. Now, that's what the church did early on. When the church started doing, celebrating the Lord's Supper, they would still take the one loaf and they would break it into the pieces for the people. Um, even before COVID, the churches had realized that's kind of disgusting, right? And so they had went away from this. We went to individual, you know, the waivers. Now, even for uh, you know, uh, pandemic sake, we've gone to this individual packet uh, little deal. If you didn't get one, by the way, we'll, we'll still pass one out um, at the end. You can get one, so don't worry. Um, but even though we kind of uh, we don't use the logistics, the, the individual parts of breaking from this one loaf of bread, we cannot lose the symbolism. Because what Jesus is doing here is very important. I don't think it's nitpicky to say that we can't lose the imagery, we can't lose it in our mind's eye of the way it's really supposed to be, in a way, if I can say it that way. One of the most important explanations of the Lord's Supper is found in. Uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church in chapter, uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10. He's talking about pagan worship and can you eat meat that's been offered to idols and he's trying to explain why, you know, in a way you can and in a way you probably shouldn't or in a way you shouldn't. And in chapter 10 he writes this, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. What is Paul saying? He is saying that not only is our sharing of the one bread, this breaking apart of one bread, knowing that each little piece that we will each have really ultimately comes from the same loaf. Not only is that a reminder of our oneness, it's actually something that makes us one. It's why the reformers, that is Luther and Calvin, those kind of guys who were kind of pulling us away from the teaching of the Catholic Church, they would say that wherever the gospel is preached, wherever people are baptized, and the Lord's Supper is celebrated, there you have a church. The Lord's Supper this morning is, is one of the things that distinguishes us as a church from just a group of people in a building, even a group of Christians in a building. But the breaking of bread is also a picture of a visible sermon that we get to watch, if you will, of what Jesus was about to do. His, his bones, in fact, will, will not actually be broken. Scripture's clear about that. But his body will be beaten. His side will be crushed. His soul will be destroyed. Because of our sin, the Father will forsake him. And the penalty of our sin, the penalty that you and I deserve to have put on us, will be the very thing that drains him of his blood. It is a gruesome picture. And I'm not just doing that uh, to say that because it is the exact picture that Jesus records when he says, this is the blood of my covenant. This is my blood, which is poured out for many. Isaiah talks like this when he says, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Don't forget, the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, is a Passover meal. And, and in a Passover meal, there's something that's going on. They're looking back, the Jews were looking back to this time of Passover. That is the last plague that happened in Egypt. That last plague was this plague where God said, listen, I'm going to come at night, I'm going to go to every house, and I'm going to kill the oldest son. Every single one. 
uh, the angel of death will destroy. But there will be one exception. Any family who takes a lamb and then slaughters that lamb and then uses that blood to paint their door frame, that family I will pass over. And so we, like that son, think back to the cross. Uh, I'm the youngest in my family, but I'm actually the oldest son. And so that passage always hits me a little differently, I'd imagine, than if I weren't. I think back, I think of what it must have felt like to be the son in that family that watches that lamb be slaughtered. I think about the feeling that would rise up within me. The blood is drained from that lamb as that lamb is, is bleeding out in obvious pain as it takes its final breath. That is the feeling we should get when we think back to the cross. Because in that moment, what we say as we look to the cross and what that son said when we look to that lamb is, this is terrible. But it's being done to save me. Which brings us to the third thing that Jesus is doing at the table, still in verse 22. He gave it to them. Jesus gave the bread to them. I imagine that they've come to the end of this ceremony. They have seen the countenance of Jesus over the last few days has changed dramatically. They know something is up. They know something is brewing. They can kind of feel the tension between Jesus and Judas mounting. They get to the end of the supper, and, and Jesus seems to change a bit. He would have to change a little bit in the way that he was talking, to talk like this. And then they just waited on what will Jesus do. Mark says, very simply, as Mark is good at doing, he gave it to them. That is, he gave the bread to them. It's important that we understand this this morning. That Jesus gives us the bread. And because of that, it's not something that we do. Let me put it a different way. God gives us the meal. We don't give it to God. I've often, as I said before, I've often sat there in the Lord's Supper, drank of the cup, ate the bread, and thought, what am I supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be thinking something? Am I supposed to be feeling something? Or praying something? Or confessing something? What am I supposed to be doing? Tim Chester answered that question for me in a book called uh, Truth We Can Touch uh, about baptism and the Lord's Supper. If you're interested in this, it's a great book. I've got it if you are. He says this, communion is not something we do for God. It is something he does for us. So in a few moments, if you're sitting there asking, what am I supposed to be doing? You're actually asking the wrong question. Because the question is, what is God doing? Now listen, here's how that changes things. Because if we come to the Lord's Supper, and, and the question is, what am I supposed to be doing? It becomes about me, and, and my heart, and my abilities. And the question is, am I doing the right things? Am I performing in the right way? But if the Lord's Supper is a gift, if the whole table itself is a gift that God has given to us, and this morning, you can come hobbling in. But physically, I was kind of hoping Miss Jackie would be here to do it. 
So we actually have someone hobbling in physically. But whether you're coming in physically hobbling, emotionally, or just spiritually, you can come to the table and it's not about you. Another writer, Chris Bruno, writes this. The effectiveness, how much the supper does what it's supposed to do, is not dependent on us. How much faith we have or how holy we feel in that moment. It all depends, just as the rest of our lives do, on our union with Christ himself. You know, sometimes when I'm walking with my, my two-year-old daughter, sometimes Tilly likes to come to the church when I've got to print something off or something, and we'll walk across and walk back. And, and for the most part, on the road, it's a pretty safe road to walk across, but she's two, and I like to hold her hand. Right? As we're crossing. And in that moment, she may, sometimes she holds on to my hand really well, really tightly, and sometimes she doesn't. Sometimes she just basically holds it up. And sometimes she even fights me a little bit. You know what, though? Tilly is safe not because she's holding my hand. She's safe because I'm holding her hand. And when she's drifted tightly, or when she's barely just holding on, I'm holding on as tight as I can. And I'm not worried that she's going to run into the road because I know I'm holding on. This morning, as we come to the Lord's table, just as with, as I said, the rest of our lives, your grip on Jesus is, is important, but it's not as important as his grip on you. But it's also why, because it's about his grip on us, it's also why only those who are truly followers of Jesus are invited to participate. Only those who have accepted Jesus uh, as their Lord and Savior, only those who have been baptized, are asked to come to the table. Now, if you happen to grab a cup on your way in and that doesn't fit you, that's okay. You can just leave it right there in your seat and the place in front will pick it up tomorrow. It's no big deal. We're not going to make any point about it. But this time is intended specifically for God's children. Like children, we come to the table dependent. I know I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. The, I think the best lesson that God's taught me so far with having a child is that my relationship with God looks more like when, when Timmy was a baby than my relationship with my dad right now. I often thought that like when I came to God, it was like me coming to my dad. You know, I'm 30 years old. And I come to him for advice, and he gave me some words of wisdom and um, you know, fellowship and those things. But since I've had Tinley, since Chris has had Tinley, if you're more correct, um, I've realized that I am completely and utterly dependent on him, just as a child is. Just as not an adult is, as a baby is. Maybe this morning we're tempted to think that we don't really need anything that the Lord's Supper can provide. It's easy to think that the only thing that's going on in this moment is what I can feel, what I can see. And when we do that, we're falling prey to the lie of our age that there is no spiritual realm, that only what is material is real. But that's a lie, friends. We know that there are spiritual forces going on. When Jesus gives the disciples the bread, he says, take, this is my body. The other gospel writers, Mark doesn't say this, but the other gospel writers tell us that Jesus told his disciples to take this supper in remembrance of him. 
If I had to guess, most of us would say that that's all that the Lord's Supper is. It's a time for us to mentally think about what Jesus has done. To borrow again from Chris Bruno, if communion is nothing but a God-given time to remember the death of Christ, then it is important, but it is not essential. If our only goal is to better remember the death of Christ, to produce a certain feeling, we've got many options that weren't available to the earliest Christians. He lists uh, different movies about the life of Jesus. We could go to Israel. We could see depictions of it in real life. But what if something unique is actually happening when we come to the table? Let me ask it this way. What if Jesus actually ordained the table, gave us the table, because he wanted to use it in a special way to get good gifts to his church? And the only way I can answer that question is by asking, well, what does Scripture say? Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 10, says this. We didn't read all of what Paul said about the Lord's Supper. He also says this. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break is not a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread. That word participation that's used there by the ESV, in other passages, the ESV will translate it fellowship. And so when we put the word fellowship in there, he's saying when we break the bread, is it not fellowship with the body of Christ? He's drawing this connection that when we, as the body of Christ, the church, come to the table, in some way we get to have fellowship with the body of Christ that is the actual body, the body and blood of Jesus. This fellowship is spiritual, right? It is spiritual. It's not literal. It's not physical. The body, the bread is not actually literally the physical body of Jesus. The uh, juice is not literally the physical blood of Jesus. But that doesn't mean it's not real fellowship. But of all times for us to understand the importance of fellowship is now, right? I mean, of all times when we get like, man, I need to see him face to face. I need to be in his presence physically, not just over the phone, not just on a television screen or on you know a Zoom call. I need to just be with them. It's now, right? I mean, of all times that God's given me this church to really appreciate fellowship, face-to-face fellowship, it's, it's now. Just to hit that point home, in June, the CDC released a survey. This was back in June. So the pandemic had only been going on for three months. It found that almost a third of people were experiencing anxiety or depression because of isolation. Thirteen had started, 30% had started from increased substance use. One in four, 25% had trauma-related symptoms. And 11% had seriously considered suicide. I'm not an epidemiologist, I'm not a bureaucrat, so I'm not here to give you my opinions about lockdowns. It's not my job. But I am a shepherd of God's people, and I know that we were not made to an isolated life. We may have fellowship with one another, but Genesis 1 through 3 also makes it clear that we were made to have fellowship with God face to face. If we remember there, after the fall, Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit, they go and hide, 
Because they heard God coming to them in the cool of the day. It seemed like this was a very normal thing for Adam and Eve to experience, for God to come to them, to go on a walk with them. It seems like in, in some wild way that it's really hard for us to even imagine that there were times where Adam and Eve would have God visit them in person, face to face. And they would just get to spend time with them. And, and, and though sin has ruined that, or we don't get that anymore, it, it hasn't removed our need for it. And somehow, spiritually, when we come to the table, we as a church get to have fellowship with God again. Not just with His Spirit, we get to have fellowship with His very flesh and blood. We often talk about the day when we will get to see Jesus face to face. Um, you know, right now, one of the joys for us, as we think about the passing of Miss Robbie, is that she's getting that right now. But in a way, when we take communion, we'll get to get that too. That brings us to the final thing that Jesus does. Jesus says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So this supper really does three things. It looks back and remembers what Christ has done for us. In the present, in the moment, we need to have fellowship with the body and blood of Jesus. But it also looks forward to the day where we will get to be present with Jesus and fellowship with him there forever when his kingdom is fulfilled. You know, speaking of Miss Robbie, even now, all of her hopes have not been fulfilled. Because she's still waiting on the bodily resurrection. She's still waiting right now to have her body with her so that she can be with Jesus literally face to face. The, the weird part about heaven for believers until the second coming of Christ is that Jesus is in his body and we aren't. And we're waiting for that time when we can both get to be in our bodies face to face. And so one day, as Isaiah 9 says, you know, we read this a lot at Christmas, uh, but I hope that every time you read this passage, and maybe you've never thought about it this way, but maybe this Christmas you will, you realize that we're actually waiting on the fulfillment of this. When, when Isaiah writes of Jesus, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus inaugurated that when he came. But he hasn't fulfilled that. Right? We are living in a country and in a world where Jesus is not ruling in righteousness and peace with justice forever and ever. We're waiting on that day. But one day it will come. When we take this supper, we remind ourselves, don't forget, the day is coming when we will get to eat this with Jesus, and he will be king over all. This is a reminder for us to look forward. So how do we get there? Maybe you're here today, and you've never come to Christ. 
you've never experienced that. You've not accepted him. You've not repented of your sins. But also, maybe you're here today and you just need to come back to Jesus. Listen, I love um, there's a hymn from the 1700s. Kind of difficult to sing, but um, two of the stanzas go like this. Come, weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry to your bed, you will never come along. Not the righteous, not the righteous sinners, Jesus came along. So let not conscience make you linger, nor fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to fill your need of him. This he gives you. This he gives you. So to a room full of people who are weary, bruised, and broken by our sin and our sinful world, Jesus offers you to come to him. To those who have already come to him, he stretches out his tablecloth or table runner in this case. He pulls you up a seat and he offers you his very body and blood. And if you will receive it in faith, he has promised to spiritually fellowship with us as if he were physically here. I can't explain that any more than that because that's all scripture is willing to give us. I don't understand it. And I don't really know one of God that I can fully understand how he does anything. It is a gift from him to you this morning. And whether you feel it or not, whether your faith this morning is so large and you are coming in completely dependent on him, whether you're just barely making it in and you're just struggling to believe, Believe the word of Jesus that he feeds you this morning. He gives you himself this morning. So as we prepare to take the cup, I know some of you may have come in through a different door and missed uh, you know, the cup and the juice. Uh, if so, just raise your hand. We've got some guys that will bring you one. You still need it. We've got one over here. Um, we've got a couple. Uh, I'll just give you a warning that these tabs are a little hard to pull. There's, there's two tabs. There's a little transparent one. And that will open up to the bread.